0: I want to say welcome to you and thank you so much for for joining us. We're going to uh, do the back half of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and go there. And, And as you're headed there, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt unappreciated? Have you ever kind of run through a resume of all that you've done for somebody but you don't feel like they appreciate it. Maybe even worse, they don't even care. Now, this is going to be the only time I think in 10 years of ministry here I've ever asked this question. How'd that make you feel? This doesn't seem like a normal question. It, It bothers us, doesn't it? But let me ask you this way. Have we ever done the same to God? Have we ever been unappreciative or ungrateful towards Him? Have we ever forgotten all that God has done for us? You know, this morning as we continue to walk through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we've got this week and then in two weeks we'll finish it up, we want to ask, what's the biggest problem that was plaguing Corinth? Then we want to ask, are are we falling victim to it in our personal lives? And then finally we want to ask this question, how can we not fall victim to it? The one big thing this morning is this, that the answer to personal problems and church problems is to love God as we are called to. So let's look at it together, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 14. I'm going to ask if you can and would, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word together? He says, behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not? in the same steps? Let's pray together. Fathers, we just go into a time of your word. I pray that all distractions would be laid aside, that we would focus on the word of God and what the spirit of God is gonna to say to us. Lord, help us to not only hear the truth, but help us to leave here obeying the truth in all that we do in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated Again, the one big thing this morning Is that the answer to personal problems and church problems Is to love God as we are called to Now, I do want to go ahead and lay this out What do we mean by the word love? Well, what we don't mean is just an emotion We don't mean these mushy feelings that, That a lot of people call love Love as defined in scripture is a verb It is something that we do Because we have these feelings toward God, then we are led to display our love, here's the word, by obedience. Okay, so to love God means to obey God. He would say this over and over throughout the Gospels. And so when we say the word love, what we mean is let's obey him. So the answer to our problems is obedience through Scripture. All right, so let's identify, number one, what is the primary problem here in the church at Corinth? Well, verses 14 and 15, give it to us. It's a lack of love. Paul identifies the problem in the very end of verse 15 when he says, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You know, when you and I read verses 14 and 15, a lot of times they just look like words on a page. But I want you to hear the emotion behind what Paul is saying. All right, there, there, verse 14. Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, but I'm not going to be a burden to you. I seek not what you have. I, I don't seek yours. I seek you. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. said, so, and very gladly, uh, I, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I feel loved. Do you feel the weight of Paul right now? Paul isn't angry. Paul is grieving. Paul is hurting because this church that that he so desperately loves, they don't love him. And worse, they're starting to turn their backs on God. And this is breaking Paul's heart. You know, I think the best analogy that we can kind of come up with in, in our context would be the relationship between a parent and a teenager. Uh, you know, I, I love what Christian comedian Jeff Allen said. Uh, he said, nowhere in the Bible do we read how old Satan was when he fell, but I believe he was probably a teenager. After all, you create someone made in your image, only have them to deny you. It's an interesting way to think about it, right? Because what what happens a lot of times? Well, the first 12 years of of a child's life, the primary influencer in his life, guess who it is? Mom and dad. And then something happens when they hit those teenage years. Mom and dad become the dumbest people on the face of the earth until kids have their own kids, okay? Okay. And so the primary influencer, starting around age 13, is no longer mom and dad. The primary influencers are now their friends. To all the young people in here, please hear me on this. Choose your friends wisely. They will either draw you closer to Christ or they will push you further from Christ. Choose them wisely. For your own good I know I'm I'm the old guy up here right now trust me been there done that your mom and dad been there done that so what's what's happening here is be, Paul is the spiritual father uh, of the church of Corinth All right, I mean he planted this church he taught this church he visited this church he poured his life into them and now they're not just turning their backs on him they're turning their backs on what he taught them. The very God that he proclaimed, they're starting to just turn their back on him. And it is grieving Paul so much right here. He says, you know, the more I express my love to you, the more I'm feeling rejected by you. You know, one of the things that we need to understand is that as believers, we must be marked by love. Jesus said in John 13, he says, by this the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The world will know if you belong to me by how you love others. Now, that, that means we need to define what is love because the way the world defines it is vastly different than what scripture defines it. So love can be defined by two words. One, love is sacrificial. True love never says, what about me? It never says, what about my needs? True love says, how can I serve you? It is sacrificial in nature. Now, how do we know this? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Then Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see the language of sacrifice all throughout the the Gospels. In fact, matter John 1, 29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came to be our sacrifice. He died the death that we should have died so that we could have the life that we do not deserve. True love is sacrificial. It will, as Jesus said in John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. Yo, all the false religions in the world, the servant dies for the king. Only in Christianity did the king die for the servants. He demonstrated in his very life what sacrifice looks like not only is true love sacrificial but leading into it is also this true love is selfless see when we go into a relationship and we are asking well what am I going to get out of this we are not being selfless we are rather being selfish when it becomes about me when it becomes about my happiness my wants my needs then I have stepped outside of what the Bible calls love and I've now stepped into what the world tries to define as love. And so I would ask us this question to begin. Which definition of love are you currently living out in your relationships? Are you living out the world's, which says what's in it for me, or are you living out Christ's, what can I give you? How can I serve? you see what we see in verses 14 and 15 is Paul being sacrificial and going I'm not going to be a burden to you now specifically he's talking about financial all right as a prophet as an apostle he had the expectation for people to support him but he said you know what I don't want there to be anything between you and I so I'm not going to ask anything from you I'm going to demonstrate what it means to live by faith because I don't want to burden you. I want you to see I am here not to say look at me, but rather I am here to serve you as I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we see over and over and over. Now, part of love is also speaking the truth in love. You know, we, we Again, the world says, well, love just kind of goes along to get along. what we see in scriptures, Ephesians four fifteen, but speak the truth in love. You see, love without truth isn't really love. That's being permissive to do whatever you want. But the flip side of that is truth without love is brutality. That's beating somebody over the head. Not genuinely caring for their soul, which we are called to do here. I'm going to go this far. We've already seen it. You see it up on the one big thing. Every problem that we face in our personal lives, as well as most problems that we face in, in church or even in our country, is due to, it's rooted in a lack of love for God. Remember, love is obedience. Obedience. The more we obey God, the more we are going to demonstrate the love of God to the people around us, right? Think about it. Maybe you, you came in here and maybe your marriage isn't exactly what you think it ought to be or what you expect it to be. What is the answer to obey God? For, for the wife, the, the command is submit yourself to your husband as you are submitting to Christ. Okay? Now, how can she do that? Because we as men... We are loving our wife as Christ loves the church. So my job as a husband is to sacrifice for my wife so that she knows I love her. She should never have to question how I feel about her. My actions ought to demonstrate that. Maybe you you got some issue with kids. Kids. Okay, maybe maybe things are just going. What is the answer? The answer is to love God by obeying him, which means bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of God. It is teaching them what the Bible says. One of the things that's happened in in the 20th and and now into the 21st century is roles have reversed. The children are now being allowed to dictate what the family does. And I get it, mom and dad, we want to be light. We don't want to get up and have a fight every single moment of every single day. But at the end of the day, God has placed us to set the authority, to set the schedule for our children, to say this as a family, this is what we are going to do. This is who we are going to be. And one of the biggest things, moms and dads, one of the biggest things is we have to not only tell our kids what God expects, we need to model what God expects. A lot of the problem that's happening in families is they're hearing one thing and they're seeing something different. And it creates a ton of confusion, not just in the family, But out in the world, if you were to go out and you were to ask one of your unsaved friends, when you hear the word Christian, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? How many of us think it would be a positive nature that they would think of? Probably not really. Why? Because we have spent so much time declaring what we're against, they don't know who we're for. They don't know what the message of Christ is. And so this is a call. What what Paul is writing at as a spiritual father is he is pleading with the Corinthians to live your life as Christ. Live it the way that the people will see you and they will know who Jesus is. Maybe you got an issue with your job or finances or time management. Guess what? Scripture speaks to all of that. Okay, every bit of it is spoken of in Scripture. So if I want to love God more, then I'm going to spend more time in his word. As I spend more time in his word, I'm going to become more like him. As I become more like him, then the relationships around me are going to be changed. And people are going to be changed. The world is not closed off to the message of Christianity. They are just dying for us to authentically live it out before them. We, we see this over and over and over. The true love is sacrificial. The true love is selfless. The closer I get to God, the more my heart is transformed. The more my heart is transformed, the more my life is changed and the world will be drawn to Christ through that. But other than what he says in verses 14 and 15, is there any evidence that their problem was love? Uh, I believe that we can look at the rest of this chapter and we can see two specific ways that the problem of a lack of love manifests itself. The first one is this. They're false accusations against Paul and others. Now, how many people here are sarcastic by nature? All right. Man, I get where Paul's going right here. Paul is going to become very sarcastic in, in, in these verses because there were two allegations being levied at him. All right. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, but, but be it so, I did not burden you nevertheless being crafty. I caught you with guile. he going, ha ha, I really tricked you. Now what's he talking about? See, the allegation against him was this, that Paul was in it for the money. Paul goes, oh yeah, man, I, I am so in it for the money. Really? Now why would he go sarcastic here? Because he wanted the Corinthians to see how absurd these allegations were. Paul's going, if I was in it for the money, I would have come to you one time and I would have written expecting a check from you every time. But that's not what he says. He says, behold, verse 14, the third time I'm ready to come to you. He's going, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for you. I'm coming to you. He wrote four letters to, Cor- to the Corinthians. We have two of them, two are lost. And he's going to make a third trip to them. That's not somebody that's in it for the money. He's going, this is ridiculous. The the second accusation against him was that he had sent Titus and this unnamed disciple ahead to finish the collection. And and then Titus, when he left, he was going to meet up with Paul. And Paul was just going to pocket all the money. Paul's going, you don't know me very well. Do, Do you not understand how much I love you? Do you not understand how I have poured out my life for you? Paul says the reason that he didn't take any of the money, he didn't want there to be anything between him and the Corinthians. He didn't want them to think that he was just here for for the money. So he said, you know what? I'm not going to take your money because I want to show you what the love of Jesus looks like. I want to tell you what the power of the gospel is. So you know what? God's going to provide for me. I don't have to trust that. I'm just going to come here. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to share the gospel with you. I'm going to model what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm going to trust God for everything else. I mean, this is a disciple. This is an authentic Christian living out the message of Christ, isn't it? He is showing them his heart by what he is doing. Because the false teachers, they had come in here. Man, they're stirring up so many problems. The false teachers were demanding that the Corinthians take care of them. Paul's going, you are paying people to insult you. We'll get into that in chapter 13. <laughs> He's going, you will listen to them, even though they are abusing you, but you can see how I love you, and you hate me. Really? What what happened? Again, please understand Paul isn't mad. Paul's heart's broken. Because there's a church that is struggling, that he loves, and is afraid of what's happening to him. Paul is Paul saying, I care more about your soul than I care about your money. But then there was a second way that their lack of love demonstrated itself. It's verses 20 and 21. Here it is. It says, For I fear, lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strikes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already, and not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. What's he getting at? Paul saying your lack of love is evident by your tolerance of sin. What he says in verses 20 and 21 is really a summation of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. Paul is going, I'm worried that when I come to Corinth, I'm going to find you in the same condition spiritually as when I first met you. This is breaking, breaking his heart. Think about it, parents. Have you ever tried to warn your child against doing something Unintelligent, only to have them go and do it anyway. Like you pleaded with them, you begged them, you said, You don't want to do this, this is not a good route. I know where this road ends. And then, because they are moral free agents, okay, who have their own free will, they go off and they do whatever they want, which is typically the exact opposite thing of what we just told them not to, right? And then all of a sudden, they come back and they're hurting. And they're going, I don't understand how this happened. Now, in that moment, if we're really honest, as, as a parent, we want to go, i want to tell you exactly why it happened. You're a dingbat. I told you what to do and you didn't listen to me. Anybody ever had that conversation? Okay, good. I am I was a little afraid on that. All right, But we don't do that, do we? Now, we, we, we kind of discipline them a little bit but because we love them we tell them come here tell me what happened we, we nurture them and we pray for them and we go did you learn a lesson from this and they always through tear filled eyes say huh." and we as skeptical parents go no you didn't not yet my, my dad loves to tell a story on me My sister and I, they're six years different. She's older, and so I was the bratty brother. Okay, I used to love to punch her in the arm and take off running because back in those days, I was a whole lot smaller and I was a whole lot quicker. And I always had an escape route down the hall, through the kitchen, down the steps, through the rec room out through the basement and the door because evidently, you know, your mom's always said, well, do y'all live in a barn? Evidently we did because our door was always open. So one day I just, she had been irritating me. I hit her. I took off running. Everything's good. I look back over my shoulders. I'm I'm in in the rec room headed out through the basement. I look over my shoulder to see, is she anywhere near me? And all of a sudden I turn around. Wham! right into a door that was closed. She caught me and beat me within an inch of my life. And my dad was watching it. And finally, he had to pull her off. And I mean, I, I got exactly what I deserved. And he looked at me and he said, son, did you learn anything? Yes, dad. What? Make sure the door's open before you hit sis and run. <laughs> now, that's a funny story because it makes me look like an idiot, and I am. But don't we do the same thing with God? Like, hasn't God told us in his word how we ought to live and the things we ought to do? And haven't there been times where we've been really rebellious and said, you know what, God, man, it's old. I don't need that. I, I got this. And we've gone and done it anyway. And then we're appalled and shocked at what happened. And and God's going, I told you what was going to happen. You know, one of the greatest concerns that most pastors have is not a hectic, unpredictable schedule. It's not caring for their sheep. They do those things because they love Jesus and they love his church. But if you want to know what concerns most pastors, here it is. The fact that there could be people that they stand before week after week and share the gospel and share the biblical truth and the people say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved when their life points to something different. Now here's the thing, Jesus said it was going to happen. You know Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, shall I enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out many demons in your name? did we do many marvelous works in your name? And then I will look at them and say, depart from me, you cursed, for I never knew you. That's the thing that causes the greatest concern is the fact that we would rely on what we say rather than what our life shows. This is where Paul is. You know, we think back to to Jesus. The night he was going to be betrayed or lead to the crucifixion, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying this prayer and, and he says three times, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Scripture says he was actually sweating drops of blood. It's a medical condition, not just hyperbole. He was literally sweating drops of blood. And he's praying in agony to the point of death right now. Why did Jesus say, nevertheless, not my will but your will be done? He said it because of what he had said three times previously. He was on his knees. He said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, Dad, if there's any way that the, that the sinful man can be rescued, redeemed, and restored, if there's any other way than the cross, Dad, th- please. God, if there's any other way, please. Man, it shows us the humanity of Jesus, doesn't it? But praise God that prayer didn't end there. Unfortunately, that's where ours do a lot of times. When we find ourselves in difficult times, first thing we often pray is, God, please take this away from me. He says, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus wasn't praying that God would remove the pain and the shame and the agony of the cross from him. He was praying that he would be faithful to his Father's will. And I don't know about you, but man, that is, I'm so grateful he was. So grateful that that his love for his father, his obedience to the father's will won out. Because had that not happened, you and I would be dead in our sin with no hope and no place. Here's Jesus praying. Don't take it away from me. Help me to be faithful. Help me to love you. Help me to be obedient to my Father's will enough to die in their place. What about us? How do we pray when life gets difficult? Do we pray God take it away from us? Or do we help, Lord help me be faithful to you through this? Church, I want you to know I love you. Diana, Andrew, Noah, Caleb, Cadillac, I love you. And as much as I love my kids, as as much as I love my, my church, my job is not to point you to me. My job is not to point my wife and my children to me. My job is to point you to Jesus because he's who we need. He's all that we need. So how do we do it? How do we possibly apply what Paul's getting at? Here it is, two things. Love God. Church, I I mean, I want to say it it is as simple, as complicated as that. The greatest commandment of Scripture is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? Greatest commandment. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know the dark valley that, that you're walking through. I don't know what burdens, cares, and concerns you walked into this room with this morning. But I do know this. The answer to all of our problems, to all of our cares, to all of our concerns is Jesus. He's who we need. He is the one that focuses us and gives us his presence and his power that's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There's a great song out right now that says, Just Give Me Jesus. The greatest command is to love him with everything we've got. See, if I'm loving God the way I'm called to, then it's gonna be evident by the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbors, yourself. If I'm loving God the way I should, it's going to be evident by the way I treat people. That's the evidence we need. But the gospel isn't just for the sinner. The gospel is also for the saint. Something else, and it's really kind of born out of verse 16. Give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to ask you a couple questions. Have you ever had a situation where somebody does something, it just really gets up under your skin? But then somebody else, somebody that you know a little more, maybe you like them a little bit more, they do the same thing, but it doesn't really bother you? Or, or let me ask it this way, parents. Have you ever had a good day at, at work and you come home and, and your kids are kind of acting goofy, but <laughs> yeah, oh, you crazy kids. But then you come home another day the same week and it wasn't quite as good of a day. And the kids, they're doing the same thing and you lose your mind on them? You start calling them the spawns of Satan, the death of you and everything else? You know what we're guilty of? The sin of favoritism. The sin of duplicity. You see, the Bible tells us this. In order to fulfill the commandment of love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it requires us to love, think about, and treat our least favorite person the same way that we love, think about, and treat our most favorite person. That's what it means to love as God loves. And I'm going to tell you this. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you can't. I can't. It is a love that God has to do in our hearts and in our lives. But I tell you this. If you want to see the gospel turn the world upside down again, if you want to see Manita reached with the gospel and the surrounding counties and the commonwealth and our country and around the world. You want to see that happen? It's going to start with those who love Jesus, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving others as ourselves. So let me ask this question as we close our time together. What evidence is there in our lives that we love God the way we say we do? Or as the Holy Spirit said, you know, we need to talk. We need to take care of some stuff. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father God, as we continue to go through this worship service, we thank you for your word. We read in the book of Hebrews that it is more powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Because of your love and your mercy, you meet us right where we are. So, Father, help us to stop running. Help us to stop making excuses. Help us just to, to surrender to you this morning. For that heart or those hearts that are far from you, Lord God, I pray that they would see not just the sin that has separated them from God, but more importantly, that they would see the love of a Savior who died in their place, who is calling out, desiring to restore them and to redeem their soul. Father, would today be that day of salvation for them, that they would just cry out to you. But Father, I pray for those that have been saved as well. Paul says in Romans 7 that there's a war inside of us. There's the Spirit that knows what we're to do, and there's the Spirit that desires to do what we want to do. So Lord God, I pray that your spirit would be the one that wins out today. I pray God that we would just respond to your word knowing that you will not turn us away but in your love you will welcome us, you will forgive us. You will begin the work of transforming us to make us more like Jesus. And in that we praise you and give you all the glory and honor because it is yours and yours alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The altar is going to be, we're going to sing one more song together. Lord, I need you. However God spoke, let's respond.